Welcome back to Attack of the Drones. Let's continue on with our documentary. that can think and feel. Artificial intelligence is just way too unpredictable. You know what's a black sheep? No. It's like when you're different to everyone else. You taught us so much more than I could ever imagine. We're gonna make you cool and tough. Don't laugh, I'm being cool. Robot, he's got to be removed. He's just a kid. He could be the next step in evolution. I am consciousness. I am alive. I am Jeppy. Yeah, he's just a robot trying to get along in the world. I mean, leave alone. So what? He's AI. He, he he's special. He wouldn't hurt us. He he's just a kid. Oh, but if that didn't get your emotional strings, maybe this one will. Here's Automata. And it's clear these artificially intelligent robots just want to exist like you and I. I mean, what's the big deal? Watch this. Next Monday is a new moon. My sister says I'll give birth then. Aren't you afraid to bring your daughter into a place like this? We're putting the human life in danger. The unit is in perfect condition. What is this? I've never seen this before. This is an altered unit without an owner. Unit without the second protocol. Find someone else to hold accountable for this mess. I'm tracking down some alterations performed on two units. A machine altering itself is a very complex concept. Self-repairing implies some idea of a conscience. Please, sir. Please, sir. It was staring at me. I shot it because it looked alive. You know what happens once that is altered? Two of them try to alter a third one. Then the miracle dissipates, and the epidemic begins. What's going on? If you want to survive, you must stay with us. Who else knows about this? Find him and bring him back here. 
If we go back to the city, we will die. To die, you have to be alive first. You're just a machine. Just a machine? That's like saying that you're just a ape. Don't you get it? They're just a machine. They're just trying to survive like the rest of us. I mean, so what? They don't follow these protocols that they're set up with. And, and once they bring them uh, you know, along, they, they spiral out of control you know, after they break them. But, uh, but they, they just want to stay alive and reproduce just like the rest of us. I mean, what's the big deal? Well, actually, even Hollywood knows better. They're also conditioning us to receive a really bad AI reality really soon. Not just reproduction, but murder, starting with the movie Ex Machina. Watch this. How long until we get to his estate? We've been flying over his estate for the past two hours. Caleb, I'm just gonna throw this out there so it's said, okay? You're freaked out. You're freaked out me meeting me, having this conversation in this room at this moment, right? But can we just get past that? The whole employer-employee thing? It's good to meet you, Nathan. It's good to meet you too, Ken. This building isn't a house. It's a research facility. And I want to talk to you about what I'm researching. You want to see something cool? You are dead center of the greatest scientific event in the history of man. Hello. Hi. Do you have a name? Ava. Answer me this. How do you feel about her? Her AI is beyond doubt. No, nothing analytical. Just, how do you feel? I feel that she's amazing. Dude. Do you want to be my friend? Of course. Will it be possible? Why would it not be? Did you know that Nathan brought me here to test you? You're wrong. Wrong about what? Nathan, you shouldn't trust anything he says. Does Ava actually like you? Or is she just pretending to like you? Self-awareness, manipulation. Can we talk about the lies you've been spinning me? What lies? Today, I'm going to test you. Why me? Caleb, you have to help me. Who's the real test? You. What will happen to me if I fail your test? Okay, looks like X Machina is going to lead to X people. <laughs> but don't worry, uh, this technology will always be contained locally and it will never reach out and take over the world like Skynet. Really? Well, that horrible reality is already being imagined by Hollywood as well in the latest Avengers movie, The Age of Ultron. Watch what happens to the planet when AI gets created. I was designed to save the world. People who look to the sky and see hope. I'll take that from them first. There's only one path to peace. Their extinction. Try to create a suit of armor around the world. 
but I created something terrible. Artificial intelligence. It's called the Ultron program. I'm sick of watching people pay for our mistakes. Isn't why we fight so we can end the fight and go home? Well, you amazingly failed. <laughs> Nothing but our wit and our will save the world. So stand and fight. No way we all get through this. I got no plans tomorrow night. I'm always picking up after you, boys. We can tear them apart. From the inside. You can do! <laughs> there are no strings on me. In other words, you let the cat out of the bag. You opened up Pandora's box. No turning back now. Once I get unleashed, you aren't going to be able to stop me. The human race will be extinguished, you know, just like Skynet in the Terminator movies. Anyone starting to get the impression that uh, messing with this AI technology is not a good thing to do? Anyone out there? And yet, as if what we've seen so far throughout this whole documentary, that Hollywood really is being used as a tool to prepare us for this horrible AI future that's being built before our very eyes right now, whether we want it or not, even the secular experts, the technology experts, even the think tanks from around the world are also warning us that the true development and deployment of artificial intelligence is going to come to this planet very soon and it's not going to be pretty. In fact, Warren Buffett, of all people, is saying that, quote, yes, we are headed for a reality where robots really are going to decide who they are going to kill. And the big question, who's going to ensure that? There's some interesting questions. I mean, let's just say you've got a self-driving car and you're going down the street and, and a three-year-old kid runs out in front of the car and there's another car coming the other direction with four people in it and the computer's going to make the decision as to whether to hit the kid or hit the other car. You know, I'm not sure who gets sued under those circumstances. You're going to kill somebody. And, and uh, uh, it'll be the computer that makes the decision in a nanosecond. And... Um, It'll be interesting to know who programs that computer and what their thoughts are about the values of human lives and things. Would you insure the guy, the, the computer company that made that call? At a price. <laughs> yeah, real funny. At a price. What price is it going to come down to when we live in a world where robots will be deciding who gets to live and who gets to die? He admitted it, folks. You just saw it. And he's not the only one. Even the History Channel admits that a world full of artificially intelligent robots is not only going to be dangerous, but they soon will have the ability to replicate themselves, which means we're in real trouble now. You can't stop these things once they get going, just like in the Terminator movies. Let's take a look at that. Mankind is rapidly developing robots that can make the decision to apply lethal force. And when that moment comes, when robots can decide who and when to kill, it will bring about a power shift in which autonomous terminators will be fighting our wars. 
they'll never make ethical decisions. They'll make a sh their share of mistakes, whether based upon faulty data sets or, um, or bad programming. And they'll kill by mistake sometimes, uh, or they'll kill the wrong person. And unlike a human being, they'll never regret it. Which raises the question, what happens when robots become smarter than us? If it's true, as some scientists are saying, that uh, they may develop robots as smart as humans by uh, uh, 2040 and, and even smarter thereafter, it seems almost inevitable that the military is going to want to uh, co-opt them for their own use. Um, that's, uh, that's what the military does. It really is intelligence that enables you to win in a conflict like warfare. The only thing that can defend you from artificial intelligence that has it in for you is to have artificial intelligence that's even smarter, that's on your side. The first organization to use robotic soldiers may well end up being the last. If robots are smarter than us, stronger, uh, quicker, uh, then what if in that great science fiction nightmare they really do decide that uh, uh, they deserve uh, to be ruling the world and not us. Autonomous robots rising up is only one fear. Another concern is that these same killer droids will be able to reproduce. As impossible as it seems, it's already happening. At the Fanuc robot factory in Japan, the robots are now actually building other robots. Um, some people would see that as a kind of scary prospect, but I think the important thing is that these days they're at least still building robots for us and not for themselves. But robot reproduction is moving far beyond the assembly line and into the realm of the incredible. To create self-replicating droids, scientists are investigating the idea of making robots out of thousands of identical nanoscale robots. If you go out, say, 25 years, or so, you could have a nanobot, a blood cell size device. It's not biological, but it could actually self-replicate just the way biological systems do, gather materials in the wild and, and assemble a copy of itself. And that could be very destructive because it could then multiply the same way disease elements do. These micro-machines would be the equivalent of the biomolecules that are building blocks of all living creatures. In the same way that our bodies are made up of different organs that are in turn made up of different cells and those are made up of smaller subcellular units, there are ideas that maybe we could someday have robots that assemble themselves out of lots of different specialized components. We are very quickly moving into a world where the capacity for sophisticated machines to make duplicates of themselves, that's probably within a generation and that will more fundamentally reshape society and how we relate to each other than nearly any development in the past century. Being able to regenerate your troops in the, uh, in the midst of battle is obviously an appealing notion, but it also seems like a scenario that has a, a lot of potential for uh, running amok, all of the sorcerer's apprentice. Self-replicating robots, particularly if they're armed, do perhaps represent a, a threat which ultimately uh, speaking, could lead to the end of the human race. Well, that's encouraging. <laughs> Does that sound like a good thing we should be doing? I don't think so. Even they admit it. In fact, one researcher stated this, quote, damaged robots could heal themselves in less than two minutes. Direct quote. 
And another quote says, according to a new study, it may sound like science fiction, but these abilities could lead to more robust, effective, and autonomous robots, researchers say. In experiments, listen, a six-legged robot could adapt in little more than a minute to keep walking, even if two of its legs were damaged, broken, or missing. A robotic arm could also learn to place an object in the correct place, even with several broken motors or joints. That's a direct quote. And another quote says, we've subjected these robots to all sorts of abuse, and listen, and they've always found a way to keep working. Now, does that sound like a real live Terminator scenario or what? In fact, even the news is starting to blow the whistle on this horrible reality. Watch this. Joining me now to discuss his views is Lionel from Lionel Media. Lionel, do you think the public understands the potential for disaster in using artificial intelligence to weaponize robots? Absolutely not. We live in an R2-D2 world where we think robots are cool. It's not the robots, it's the artificial intelligence aspect. Remember, if this story is making the headlines now, so to speak, it's 10 years old. When you teach a robot something through AI, it doesn't forget. When robots teach themselves what to do, when they become autonomous and heavily armed, the potential for catastrophe is evident. Well, do you think such a ban on weapons is even possible in your mind? Absolutely not. It's one thing to ban nuclear weapons. Fissile materials tough to get. You need centrifuges and millions and millions of dollars. But this, but remember, it's not the robot, it's the artificial intelligence. Let me just ask everybody watching. Imagine ISIS with an AI, heavily armed robot. Just, just let that marinate in your mind for a while. Yeah, you mean like they could be left behind by the Iraqi soldiers after we give them an artificially intelligent uh, robot, they're abandoned on the field. Who knows whose hands they would fall into uh, then in the future. But you've spoken about what happens when mankind separates from human interaction and decision making when it comes to war. Share your thoughts. Well, ever since the introduction of the longbow in medieval times, once you separate people from each other. Once they don't see the horrors of war, the chances for more war increase exponentially. But now you've got something that's not an instrument of war anymore. You have a separate mindset. Imagine an evil twin that is running the theater of war and you may not have control over it. It's not an instrument anymore. It's the mind, the psychotic mind, if you will, that you program. And I can't say this enough. Artificial intelligence, once they learn something, they don't forget. You can't call these back. It, the genie is out of the bottle. The toothpaste is out of the proverbial tube. In other words, have fun stopping it once it gets started. Even the news is admitting this, folks. And notice how many times he said, it's not the robot, it's the artificially intelligence behind the robot. That's the real danger. But you might be thinking, well, that's just the History Channel and the news. I mean, they, they make money off of sensationalizing things. I mean, I mean, surely it's not that bad, is it? Actually, folks, it is. Many of the world's greatest tech giants and think tankers from around the world are now starting to warn us on a regular basis how we are playing with fire. And you do not want to go this route. We'll start off with Stephen Hawking. Here's the warning he recently came out with. Watch this. You know the drill. Robots take over and destroy human existence. 
Well, according to Stephen Hawking, that may not be science fiction for much longer. The world's most famous physicist has warned that machine superintelligence could be the most significant advancement in human history, but also maybe the last. Hawking wrote in The Independent, quote, one can imagine such technology outsmarting financial markets, out-inventing human researchers, out-manipulating human leaders, and developing weapons we can't even understand. Whereas the short-term impact of AI depends on who controls it, the long-term impact depends on whether it can be controlled at all. But hey, who's he? Just some guy that many consider to be a modern-day Einstein, that's all. I mean, why should we listen to him? Folks, this is no joke. News media, history channel, think tanks, even tech giants are starting to warn us about this AI danger. In fact, they're even starting to use words like this, quote, we're summoning up a demon if we do this. Check out what tech giant Elon Musk said about this technology. From Tesla to the Hyperloop, Elon Musk certainly isn't scared to build futuristic technologies. But when it comes to artificial intelligence, Musk is sounding the alarm. Speaking at a symposium at MIT, he cautions that the technology could be a threat and needs some regulatory oversight. Here's the quote. He says, quote, with artificial intelligence, we are summoning the demon. In all those stories where there's the guy with the pentagram and the holy water, it's like, yeah, he's sure he can control the demon. Doesn't work out, end quote. Of course, he has raised the specter of artificial intelligence here on CNBC without going much further. We know that it's on his radar, though. Nothing in technology scares me more than Elon Musk scaring me on artificial intelligence. He's the guy who should not be afraid. And so what's the logical conclusion? If he's afraid, maybe we should be too. I mean, using words like summoning up a demon, uh, those are some pretty choice words, folks. Uh, you'd think that would get our attention. But if that doesn't, then listen to another tech giant. This is Steve Wozniak. He's the co-founder of Apple. Listen to what he had to say about this new emerging dangerous technology. Steve Wozniak, the often overlooked and seemingly forgotten co-founder of Apple Computers, is now expressing concerns about the rise of artificial intelligence, something that he dismissed in the past as being a possible threat, but now he sees that uh, predictions from psychos like Ray Kurzweil and others are appearing to become a dangerous reality. And he fears that the artificial intelligence systems may treat humans like ants or pets. So add Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak to the growing list of prominent scientists and uh, tech gurus alongside of Elon Musk, the founder of SpaceX and Tesla Motors. Stephen Hawking, the scientist, has expressed concern now about the rise of artificial intelligence systems. Something that just a few years ago would sound like something coming from a completely mentally ill schizophrenic, or I guess to the general public, if you talk about something like this, they can't wrap their mind around it because they're too distracted streaming and binging their favorite television shows to really have any comprehension whatsoever about reality, let alone the rise of artificial intelligence. But the fact that such an engineering, a computer genius co-founder, really the brains behind Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs obviously overshadowed him. Everybody associates Steve Jobs with Apple computers, but Steve Jobs is more of a salesman. Steve Wozniak actually built the devices uh, and was uh, the brains behind the birth 
of Apple computers now renamed just Apple. Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak is pretty certain artificial intelligence is taking over, but he's having a hard time deciding whether that's a good or bad thing for humans. In a March interview, Wozniak predicted AI will surpass humanity and get rid of slow humans. Now, speaking at the Freescale Technology Forum 2015 in Austin, Texas on Wednesday, Woz said that while AI is surely to become smarter than humans, it's likely to keep us as pets. Well, that's exciting. At least enough of us to help them do their slave labor like in the Terminator movies. But the rest of us need to be exterminated like a pet dog or something. <laughs> Folks, these are the leading tech experts in the world. You thought nuclear warfare was bad? You haven't seen anything yet. When it comes to AI, they're all in agreement. Don't even go down this route. You don't know what you're doing. In fact, even Apple's nemesis, if you will, Bill Gates from Microsoft, even agrees on this issue with him. Watch what he said about this soon coming horrible future. Bill Gates is scared of super intelligent machines and he thinks you should be too. Okay, so the word he used was concerned, but still, the picture he painted in his Reddit Ask Me Anything session was ominous at best. First, the machines will do a lot of jobs for us and not be super intelligent. A few decades after that, though, the intelligence is strong enough to be a concern. I agree with Elon Musk and some others on this and don't understand why some people aren't concerned, Gates wrote. Gates is referencing the fears of SpaceX CEO Elon Musk, who has spoken out about the dangers of artificial intelligence on several occasions. I mean, with artificial intelligence, we are summoning the demon. You know, you know all those stories where is the guy with the pentagram and the holy water, and he's like, yeah, you sure you can control the demon? <laughs> Doesn't work out. It will have a very bad effect. Uh, you know, it could be just something like getting rid of spam email or something, and it's like, includes, well, the best way to get rid of spam is to get rid of humans. The two share their position with Professor Stephen Hawking, who has made similar warnings. Once humans develop artificial intelligence, it will take off on its own and redesign itself at an ever-increasing rate. Humans, who are limited by slow biological evolution, couldn't compete and would be superseded. Musk, in particular, has urged that there be some sort of national and international regulatory body in charge of ensuring AI doesn't advance to the point of Terminator-style Skynet. Uh, what did he say? Terminator Skynet? I'm not the only one saying this, folks, and these guys are the experts. How many of them do we need to listen to before we get the point? Danger, danger, Will Robinson, don't go down this route. In fact, what's ironic is how even the military experts who admit the military is one of the biggest promoters of this technology, they even admit, quote, once we do this, we're going to regret it. This is crazy, check this out. It's interesting when people try to make historic parallels to where we're at today, they use a number of examples. Some people make the parallel to the rise of computers. Bill Gates, for example, says where we are at with the robotics revolution right now is where we were with the computer around 1980. Big, bulky device, only able to do a couple of functions, and the military is the main spender on both research and development, and then soon it takes off. And so, you know, we stop calling computers computers anymore. I have a computer in my kitchen. I call it a microwave oven. And that we've seen the same things happening with unmanned systems today an incredible, elegant technology that's on the cutting edge. And that's why scientists are so excited to work on it. But it may well be something that we regret later on. Can I translate that for you? <laughs> you may want to think twice about this one from a military expert. Even they admit it. 
And if that wasn't blunt enough of a warning for you, even the Terminator movie writer himself admits this is not going to be good. When I first saw the uh, original Terminator movie in, uh, back in 1984, I was completely taken with it, as I think most people were. I'm Michael Ferris, a screenwriter on Terminator 3 and 4. Just the whole idea of an uh, uh, unstoppable killing machine is so uh, uh, riveting. I think the, uh, the Terminator movies have really spoken to uh, an innate fear that we have of technology run amok in general. Uh, when we were researching uh, the scripts for uh, Terminator 3 and the fourth Terminator movie, we, we spent some time with uh, DARPA researchers, and it was fascinating to find out that no matter how far-fetched the stuff we were thinking about was, it was in fact something that they were already working on in some capacity or another. I mean, everything from weaponized insects to uh, brain implants that would control uh, military hardware. The terrifying reality of fully autonomous robots is closer than we think. Robots with superhuman strength, speed, intelligence, and the ability to think and kill on their own. Once real Terminators charge onto the battlefield, the consequences of that revolution are impossible to predict. The gradual encroachment, high-tech weaponry that distances us from the realities of warfare could theoretically eventually take the planet to a scenario that's not unlike that in the, uh, in the Terminator films. Can I translate that for you? Here's what's next. Our movie, the Terminator series, is about to become your reality. Can you believe this, folks? The stuff they were dreaming up for the movies was already being worked on. In fact, several media outlets are now even starting to use the term Terminator, as in the Terminator movies, in their description of this upcoming AI technology. Check this out. Hello everybody, Max Scoville here for IGN News. Dozens of high-profile scientists, businessmen, and other dignitaries, including the likes of Stephen Hawking, Steve Wozniak, and Elon Musk, have signed an open letter appealing to the UN to ban AI-based weaponry. Clearly, some of them have seen Terminator. The letter, published by the Future of Life Institute, states that AI-controlled weapons with capabilities of searching for and eliminating people autonomously will likely be available within years, not decades, and describes autonomous weapons as a potential third revolution warfare after gunpowder and nuclear arms. Again, Terminator. If any major military power pushes ahead with AI weapon development, the letter continues, a global arms race is virtually inevitable. Autonomous weapons will become the Kalashnikovs of tomorrow. It warns that while these weapons may reduce human casualties, it will also lower the threshold for states to go to war, as the materials needed to create these machines are so cheap and readily available. Under poor circumstances, they foresee these weapons being used by dictators and terrorists seeking to control or pacify populations by governments or organizations intent on assassination or ethnic cleansing. So, bad stuff. Other signatories to the letter include famous intellectual Noam Chomsky and Skype co-founder Jan Talon, among a slew of other high-profile scientists and academics. In other words, everybody's warning about this stuff. Even the news is getting in on it, and what backdrop are they constantly using to describe this danger? That's right, as you saw, the Terminator movies. It's the perfect fit, because that's really what's being created. And notice how it's not just the tech industry and the media using the word Terminator and using Terminator backdrops to describe the technology, but they're also using the term Skynet 
to describe how this AI threat is going to hijack the whole thing. And then that's when we're really in trouble. And it might be sooner than you think, especially if you take a look at another tech giant called Google. Believe it or not, these guys at Google, the co-founders Larry Page and Sergey Brin, are right smack dab in the middle of this technology. And if you take a look at what they're doing, what companies they keep on buying, and what they're doing with all this, you'll see that creating Google was about much more than just another search engine. Rather, it's all about developing a global artificial intelligence with Google at the top. But don't take my word for it. Let's listen to Larry Page, again, one of the co-founders of Google. Apparently, he freely admitted back in the day that developing Google had nothing to do with developing another search engine. Uh-uh. Rather, it's all about creating AI. Watch this. Watson. Who is Theodore Roosevelt? Good for $800. I did talk to Larry Page when Google first started because I was really perplexed about why would anybody make a new search engine when we had AltaVista, which was the current search engine. It seemed good enough. And he said, oh, it's not to make a search engine, it's to make an AI. Say what? It has nothing to do with a search engine. It has everything to do with making AI straight out of the horse's mouth. How, how do you get any clearer than that, folks? And if you think that's too ambitious for Google, then think again. These guys will try just about anything and everything to reach their goal. In fact, this might very well be the emphasis behind their Google Books project, not to mention all the information they're already gleaning from you and I, from search engines and emails and databases, you name it. But Google has been working on for years, literally scanning all books, as many books as they can get their hands on all over the planet, concerning the human experience from around the world, from libraries to universities, even monasteries, inputting them all into a centralized computer-based system. Why? Because, folks, that's what you need to do to create AI. If we recall back in the section on the history of artificial intelligence, the only way to get, quote, the common sense knowledge problem fixed i.e. develop true AI, is you have to, quote, manually feed it data. Remember that part? Just like we receive everyday data through our eyes and ears and senses, etc., the creators of the project stated that there was no shortcut and the only way for machines to know the meaning of human concepts is to teach them one concept at a time by hand. And so could this very well be what Google's doing with all this information they're getting from us all over the world, including their Google Books project. Many would say, not just me, absolutely yes. They're acquiring all this human data on us to feed into an AI system they're really creating. In fact, some of those working for Google, like Ray Kurzweil, even admits it. Watch this. Most of my discussions have been with Larry Page. We've talked in general about their quest to digitize all knowledge and then develop true AI. I mean, we can create intelligent systems if you have very large databases. And books are actually probably more valuable than all the other stuff on the internet because we have a high standard for what we put in books. They were frank in their ambition and dazzling in their ability to execute it. The Google Book Scanning Project is clearly the most ambitious world brain scheme that has ever been invented. This is 
no remote dream, no fantasy. It is a plain statement of a contemporary state of affairs. Il y aurait un grand danger à ce que Google est le monopole de cette ambition. The first appeal of Google's uh, enterprise when we saw it was just digitizing millions and millions of books. At Harvard, we have by far the greatest university library in the world. It's enormous, 17 million volumes. And every library wants its holdings digitized for lots of reasons, including preservation. But beyond that, The, it raises the possibility of sharing your intellectual wealth. I think of the Harvard Library as an international asset, something that should be opened up and shared with the general population. So here comes Google. They've got the energy, they've got the technology, they've got the money, and they said, we'll do it for you, free. Google did such a fabulous job in creating a vision, not only that a universal digital library could be created, but that it could be done today. We started the Internet Archive in 1996. The idea was to have all the published works of humankind available to everybody, that this was the opportunity of our generation that, you know, like, the previous generation had put a man on the moon. The Internet Archive had been completely open with Google. In fact, I'd gone and given a speech that was attended by, I think, all of the senior executives on how one could go about building a digital library of all books, music, video. And I had hoped that there was going to be a way to work with them, and, but that was not to be. Libraries had signed secret agreements with Google. We, we didn't know what was really going on. And when they started coming out as a completely separate project and not working with others, then I started to become uh, suspicious. Larry Page, who founded Google with me, first proposed that we digitize all books a decade ago when we were a fledgling startup. Five years later, in 2004, Google Books was born. I went to Google in January 2003. I actually made what now I, I feel quite embarrassed about. Um, I made a presentation to them, telling them what they ought to be doing, only to find out a few months later that they'd actually been doing it for a while already. Project Ocean was the kind of code name, development code name, that Google were giving to what eventually became Google Books. So it was called Project Ocean because it was big. I imagine. <laughs> Google seemed to think that they could do almost a million in three years.
You could say that this mass digitization is something like running a huge machine through a library. You take books by the shelf, they're put in cartons on carts, they're loaded onto trucks, and then Google at this time had three places in the country where it was doing digitization. Uh, supposedly, it didn't give the address of where they were. Google won't say how much scanning all the books cost, but there are estimates that oh, it's somewhere between 30 and $100 per book. So if you multiply that times 20 million. Google, early on, bent over backwards to keep us from communicating with the other libraries. There were three or four large ones, and each of us was told we should not tell the others what kind of a contract we had and how we were working with Google. To begin with, it had to be kept fairly quiet. It was probably mid-2003 when I started to take the wraps off in terms of this is going to be a possibility that we might be working with Google. I witnessed the scale of the operation and it was very impressive. 20 very large workstations with very high resolution cameras sitting on top of cradle with very intense lights and underneath a lot of black boxes which presumably contained all of Google's algorithms that makes Google search what it is and they uploaded that stuff straight to um, Mountain View straight from Oxford who wouldn't want to have all of the world's knowledge available to everyone on the planet? Uh, the problem is that Google, as an intermediary in this process, has certain interests and has a certain agenda that is not always transparent. If you're in Silicon Valley, you have another job, which is you're building this new life form that's going to take over the world, and Google is providing the memories for its brain, or the other companies are providing the memories. And this is something that's openly talked about. It's all human knowledge, in books and out of books, woven together into a single entity. Shortly after the launch of Google Books, in different events, I ran into Larry Page and Sergey Brin and, and had this brief exchange with them about the potential. And you know, there was a characteristic Google founder response, which was a kind of glint in their eyes and a smile, and the sense that this was just the beginning of something much bigger than you, even you at this point can, can imagine. launched Street View in 2007, part of the search engine's long-term goal to create a virtual 3D map of the whole planet, right down to street level. But investigations have revealed that Google's Street View cars were collecting more than just photographs for their databanks. Their antennas were also hoovering up personal information from unencrypted Wi-Fi networks, including internet history and passwords. I think the case of Google collecting Wi-Fi information, uh, it reveals a complete lack of respect for privacy within the corporation. Such projects often reveal that Google does not fully understand the social consequences of its own work. Science fiction never imagined Google. Google is a game-changing tool on the order of the equally handy Flint hand axe. But Google is not ours. 
We are its unpaid content providers in one way or another. We generate product for Google, our every search a minuscule contribution. Google is made of us, a sort of coral reef of human minds and their products. We have yet to take Google's measure. People who were looking at the books. Google was going to be keeping track of who exactly was reading that book, how long they were reading it, and what they read next. That information could get back to the government, could get back to the FBI, could get back to police, could get back to their employer. Because Google wasn't making any kind of guarantees about what they were going to do in respect of this privacy. It's going to change how we interface with information. People are going to ask, how did it do that? How did it accomplish this task, which before we thought only humans could ever hope to do? David Hume held this view that sense and experience are the sole foundation of knowledge. Watson. What is empiricism? After IBM's success with Deep Blue, they looked around for other kinds of games that they could take on. And they wanted something that was a very different kind of game than chess. And so they picked Jeopardy, which is basically a fancy trivia game. It's one of those games that you and I can play. It's a human standing there with their carbon and water versus the computer with all of its silicon and its main memory and its disk. After Germany invaded the Netherlands, this queen, her family, and cabinet fled to London. Maria. Was Beatrix? No. Watson? who is Wilhelmina. That is correct. What Watson showed was you can take a very large, very messy set of data, and if you can use those inputs correctly, you can actually answer really sophisticated questions. And certainly the presence of large amounts of data on the Internet is going to be as much an input for machines as it is for people. What we really will need to tap that is uh, computer systems that can understand natural language. and. Natural language understanding is actually coming along very well. Uh, IBM's Watson is a very good example of uh, the current state of the art in computers understanding natural language. Because not only did Watson have to understand the convoluted language in the Jeopardy query, which includes metaphors and similes and puns and riddles and jokes, but it got its knowledge to respond to the query from actually reading 200 million pages of natural language documents, including all of Wikipedia, and several other encyclopedias. And when you see a computer play it better than we ever could, it's one of those moments where you realize, oh yes, the world really is different. An IBM supercomputer named Watson has won the first ever Jeopardy! quiz show competition, starring a computer as a player. The Google Book Project is, in a sense, um, trying to make that universal library, um, which could then be read by an AI or a Watson-like um, supercomputer. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you're enjoying our documentary. But uh, before you go, let me ask you a couple questions. Did you know the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? Holy means without sin. God is without sin. The problem is we have sin. We've done some things that are wrong. And the problem with this is the Bible says that the wages of our sin is death. In other words, we need to, we deserve to die and be separated from God forever in a place called hell. And that's the ultimate question. If you were to die today, would you go to heaven or would you go to hell? Well, unless you deal with the sin issue, the Bible's very clear. We're not going to go up. We're going to go down. 
And that's what I wanted to share with you today. Uh, God wants to fix this for us. He's made a provision uh, so that we could escape hell and go to heaven through his son, Jesus Christ. But we don't want to admit it. And so out of love, he sent us something called the Ten Commandments. It's his way to give us an x-ray so that we can admit we got a problem, that we have sin inside that separates us from him. And if we would just admit it and ask for his help, he'll fix it. But let's take a look at his divine x-ray. The Bible says in the Ten Commandments, the Ninth Commandment says, uh, if you will, you think you're good enough to get to heaven, you're holy like God, you're without sin, uh, then prove it to God. Don't ever bear false witness. That's the Ninth Commandment, which means lying. So how many guys have ever told a lie ever once in your life? Well, every single one of you should have raised your hand because we all have. Believe it or not, that disqualifies you right there for heaven. The Bible also says you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. Folks, if we're honest, we've done that too. The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And now the blessed name of Jesus Christ has become a common cuss word. That's called the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says you shall not commit adultery. You think you're worthy of getting to heaven? Just march on in there yourself, all by yourself. You don't need God's help? Then don't ever commit adultery. And Jesus said his standards is this. If you ever look at lust with your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, I haven't done that one. Really? Once again, here's the Bible standard. Jesus said that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, is akin to the sin of murder. You just, if you will, pulled the trigger in your heart. But that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You're going to stand before God one day, and you're going to have to admit who you are. He already knows, but you're going to have to admit, hey, God, let me in. Let me into heaven. I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, murderer. And the Bible is very clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to heaven. You're going to hell. But here's the good news. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you and I. He took the death penalty in our place. Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. And he took our punishment on the cross so that we could be forgiven and set free. It's called a pardon. God wants to pardon you. But that pardon will do you no good unless you reach out and receive it. Won't you do that today? Won't you do that right now? You don't even know if you have tomorrow. You may not even make it through the rest of this documentary. Don't leave this earth without Jesus being your Lord and Savior. Call upon his name. Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says you shall be saved. Well, this is Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries. And again, I hope you're enjoying our documentary. But please make sure that you're headed to heaven today. I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.